If you have a Bible tonight, let's open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 65. And I know we've been blessed, man. You guys, I had a couple of weeks off, and I got some rest. I did a little work around the house and um, kind of did some planning, you know, for the new year. One of the things I've learned is that, you know, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And the year goes by so quick. And so getting ready for the next year, if we make it there, and excited about that. But you guys have been blessed with the different guest teachers, and I know they've been sharing even some Christmas messages. But tonight I want to get into the book of Psalms, and then on Sunday we'll, we'll share a, a Christmas message, and we'll go forward from there. But in Psalm 65, uh, two words stand out to me, creation and redemption. And we're going to see that these are reasons to praise the Lord. You know, we're going to see uh, as our, in our study tonight that God wants us to sing loud. God wants us to raise the praise. God wants to crank the volume. And I don't know if you guys do that. I think you should. But, but we have reasons, man, to sing. You know, just looking at who God is, the one who made everything. And, of course, we know the one who's redeemed us from our sins. Warren Risby said this about this psalm. He said, this is the first of four psalms. So Psalm 65 through 68, that focuses on praising the Lord for his manifold blessings in nature and for his gracious dealings with his people. And so we're, we're going to see in this psalm, you know, just looking out at, at creation, the mountains, the rain, things I think we might take for granted. I mean, the other day it rained like crazy, huh? You guys, was it not, not that long ago? It was raining so hard in our house. I, I thought, man, I think I'm in Cambodia right now. It was just crazy, you know. And, uh, and, but I'll tell you what, because some people that don't like the rain, I praise God every time it rains. I really do because uh, to me it's a blessing. We need it, and a lot of times we don't realize it, but, you know, it's the rain, you know, gives us the water that we drink, and, it, it, you know, gives us the, the irrigation, really, at the end of the day that's necessary for the bun that you're eating in your, you know, in and out hamburger and, you know, the banana that you're eating, it, it all comes from God. And so we're going to see that today. Reasons to praise the Lord, creation, redemption, who he is. We're going to see ever so clearly in this psalm that God provides, that he really is Jehovah Jireh, and he provides in creation and in redemption. And so we, we read in verse 1, it says, uh, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed, O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. And so once again, we see that to the chief musician. Um, it's a uh, Phrase found 56 times in the Bible, 55 times in the book of Psalms, uh, one time in Habakkuk 3.19. And so since the psalm is written to the chief musician, that means, and in one sense, it's kind of a significant psalm. And so David here, he speaks about praise to God, most likely lived out in a vow that he had made to God. You know, in one sense, uh, what we find is that 
you know, praise and, and living the life, they go together. So we're going to see in the next psalm about the vow. And it's this vow. Have you ever made this vow? Have you ever told God, I'm giving you everything? I'm surrendering my life to you. Have you ever made that vow? Like, I'm not going to hold back anymore, Lord. You're going to have, you can have all my heart. We're going to see later that's the burnt offering. And that's the vow that he's talking about right here. You know, because praise is not just singing songs. Praise is a surrendered life to the Lord. And that's what, you know, David is, is talking about right here. He says to you, the vow, the vow shall be performed. Oh, you who pray, who your prayer to, to you, all flesh will come. You know, and of course, it's not just true for, for David. It's true for all of us that the best expression of praise and worship is the way we live our lives. And uh, it's interesting here because, you know, when you read your Bible, you read the New Testament especially, it's a, it's a repeating theme. The Jews, they miss the point that God wants to save the whole wide world. And that's what we read right here, though. He says, to you, notice, all flesh, all flesh will come. See, it's not just the Jews, it's all flesh. And, and God hears the prayers of those who are in that covenant relationship with him. You know, uh, Psalm 66, 19, it says, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. You know, uh, Isaiah 65, 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, God says, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. We're going to be praying for Lisa. We're going to be praying for God to heal her. We're going to be praying that with all our hearts. We're going to be fasting. We're going to be seeking God. And whatever happens, whether God heals her on this side of time or the other, either way, God hears our prayer. And you guys, I, I hope that you know that when you pray. You know, whenever you pray. I mean, God, those real quick, you know, one minute, one second prayer of Peter, Lord, help. <laughs> And Jesus reaches down and saves him, or the, the, you know, the extended prayers. I mean, to me, it's amazing that I can, I can just lift up my eyes. I, even right here, right now, I can like, ignore all of you and just say, Lord, I love you. And he hears my prayer. Lord, help me. And, and he hears. It's just a beautiful thought to know that God hears our prayers. I like what... We read in Acts 10.31, it said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. So keep on praying. Keep on praying for your kids. Keep on praying for your loved ones because God hears. He hears prayer. And to him, it's interesting, all flesh comes. And we're going to see this uh, very clear teaching uh, on God's heart to save the world. You know, the other day I was reading uh, the Bible, and I think I was in Romans chapter 10, and I was reading Pastor Chuck's uh, Bible. Uh, it's the Word for Today Bible, and he's got a little commentary in the bottom. And something there just hit me so hard that I can't get it out of my mind. And this is what he said. He said, if only the Jews knew that all God wanted to do 
was to save the world. And he wanted to use them to do it. And to me, you guys, that's it, man. What's your life all about? You know, what is, what, what is God doing here? And, and that, that's his heart. All he wants to do is to save the world. Not just the Jews, you know. Not just you, you know, your neighbors, you know, the strangers. That's what it's all about. And think about it, man. He wants to use your life somehow, some way, as a part of that. And you know, you might be a pastor or an evangelist or a musician or an usher. You know, you're doing those little things behind the scenes. You're making CDs, whatever it is. You're giving to the church. All that is part of him using your life for that same purpose. And, and that's what, you know, we're reading right here. To me, I'm just so blessed. Verse 2, that it says, To you, all flesh will come. And maybe you're here and you're thinking that, that you're the exception, that God can't save you or hear your prayers because maybe you've sinned. How many of you have sinned today? Just out of curiosity. How many times? No, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just serious. No, I'm just messing with you. Um, you know, God, you know, sometimes we get beat up by those things, right? That, you know, God, I'm, well, he doesn't hear my prayer. I'm kind of struggling right now. And it is true that sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. But you know what? It's so cool. God has a solution for sin. Look at verse 3. Isn't this amazing? It says, Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. And I don't know if you've ever been there, Matt. Have you ever been there where your sins... They just overwhelm you. You know, that's what the NET says, or the NLT says, we are overwhelmed by our sins. Have you ever failed, and then you got up, and then you, you failed again, and then you got up, and then, and then you kind of fell again, and you keep messing up, you know, and you're overwhelmed by it? I mean, this is what David's talking about right here. Iniquities, notice, they prevail against me. They, they, they overwhelm me. You know, you're, you're buried in your badness. You're suffocating in your sins. You're devastated by your disobedience. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. I know that I have. And I, even as pastor, I still experience that sometimes. But thank God for the rest of verse 3. How God provides atonement for them. And the Hebrew word, kafar, it means to cover our sin. Uh, an atonement, it, what it, that word talks about is pacifying the wrath of God because that's what our sins deserve. Atonement is th that word propitiation, which in simple terms, it speaks of winning back or regarding or regaining the favor of God with something that appeases or pleases him. And so for us, we know that God gave us atonement through the cross of Calvary, Right? You know, it's symbolized in Genesis chapter 22. Do you guys remember the story where Abraham was commanded by God to take his son, his only son, the one he loved? It's the first time we find the word love in the Bible. The very first time where Abraham's love for his son was, was expressed. And you guys know the story, most of you probably do, that Abraham waited, you know, all his life for this son, this son of promise. You know, and he, was a, he had to wait until he was 100 years old. 
But he finally got that son of promise and he loved him. And he loved him dearly. But then he heard those words from God, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And so uh, it's a crazy story. The only time in the Bible where God asked for a human sacrifice. But Abraham knows that there's no way that he's going to stay dead. God gave me a promise, but he, he goes through with what the father had called him to do. And he goes up the mountain. And if you guys remember the story, you know, Isaac is now, you know, older. Some say maybe even, you know, 30 years old. We don't know. And, and all I know is that, you know, that Isaac goes up, you know, they're going up to the mountain to sacrifice. And he says, hey, dad, you know, we got the wood and we got the stuff for the sacrifice. But, but what about the sacrifice itself? We don't got no lamb or, or goat or anything like that. And you guys remember what Abraham said? He said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's exactly what God did. And, and, you know, when, when Abraham was just about to kill his son, the Lord said, stop. I was just testing you to see if you really had me as number one in your life. And now I see that you do. And then, you know, the Lord provided a, a ram in the thicket and they went and they, and they sacrificed it. But you guys know that whole story right there is a, is a typology of what God did with his son, what God really did with his son, in that he died for us. And that blood, that sacrifice, that death, it washes away our sins. See, my sins, they overwhelm me. And sometimes we feel condemned and sometimes we feel like, man, I can't go on. But God has paid for those sins and he's provided that atonement and and he covers them and he drops them into the deepest part of the sea, remembers them, no, casts them as far as the east is from the west. He'll never bring them up. And, And it's just so cool to see what the Lord has done for us. You know, like I said, when we started the psalm, it's, it's God providing. We're going to see, you know, creation and redemption. It's, it's, it's about God providing. And, and so we read in, in verse 4, Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. And so David is probably referring to, First of all, to the priests, you know, the man you choose and, and cause to approach you, they may dwell in your courts. I mean, that's a great privilege, huh? But, but then he's also probably talking uh, about the, the people, right? The, the people benefited from the priests. But then he says, we, he uses the word we, but we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. And so it's interesting how it all kind of flows. You know, we're going to see all flesh comes to God and God hears prayer when we're saved and how God, you know, our sins overwhelms us, but he forgives us. And then, you know, the priests, you know, they make a way. And then in one sense, what happens is not just them, but us, 
we all get to dwell in the temple now because the Bible says that we are now priests. There's no you know, special descendants of Aaron you know, who are the high priests or the descendants of the Levites who are the helpers to the priests. No, now we're all priests. You're priests. You can represent God to the people. You know, you can share the word with them. You can share the love of God with the people. And you can represent the people to God. And you can pray to God for them. You're a priest in one sense. That's who we are. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he's talking to Christians. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so verse 4, where it says, Blessed is that man that you choose and, and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts, that's all of us. May we never forget that. Notice in verse 5, it says, By awesome deeds and righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves and the, and the tumult of the peoples, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. And so we read there in verse 5 about the awesome deeds in, in righteousness. And when you think of that, I think that you immediately you know, run to the cross. How did God make us righteous? By that awesome deed wherein we were delivered, you know, by the cross. But, but you know, it's interesting how he uses that word confidence. You know, um, look at verse 5 again. But by awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. How many of you here are confident that you're going to go to heaven? I mean, I'm confident. I'm not confident in my basketball playing or anything like that. You know, I'm not confident in my teaching. I'm really not confident in, in, in anything other than that. The confidence of the earth. That I know I'm going to heaven. I know I am. It's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I'm any better than anyone else. It's because I've been redeemed. It's because I believe, I trust in Jesus. And that's what we're seeing right here, this awesome deed of righteousness. Man, it's, it gives me that confidence. One, one day, you know, and I know it's a little different story when you're there maybe in the hospital bed and the doctor says, you know, you got days, you know, but I just have a feeling though that, we're going to have that same heart. I know. If you're ever there, hopefully we all get raptured. That'd be cool, huh? You guys ready? But if we're, we're there and the doctor says, hey, Manny, you know, you got a week left, my prayer is that I rejoice. Father, I'm coming home. Because we're confident. Not in us. It's in him, right? And, and so what an awesome deed he has done in dying for us, 
and bearing and wearing our sins. How awesome that we are new creations in Christ. You know, we read in verse 6 about how God established the mountains. You know, and I don't know if you guys ever if give God credit for that. Do you guys ever, you know, think about that? You should. You know, because what do we do? One thing I notice is that we're so impressed with the pyramids. Huh? We're like, whoa, how did they do that? And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the biggest pyramid in the world is 857 feet high. Uh, but the biggest mountain in the world is 29,000 feet high. Why are we so impressed with the pyramids and not impressed with the mountains? Not only that, there's a bigger mountain than Mount Everest uh, in Hawaii, Manau, Kias, because if you measure it from the base of the mountain, it's 33,000 feet high. And so David is kind of saying that there. We should praise God for redemption. We should praise God for creation. Look at verse 7. He, he steals the, the noise of the sea, the noise of their waves, and the, and the tumult of the people. You know, and, and of course, this is to be taken literally. You guys remember when Jesus did this? When there was that crazy storm, and all he did was wake up, he kind of stretched out his arms a little bit. And he said, peace, be still. He rebuked the, de- the demons because the demons were the ones that were stirring that whole thing up. He just rebuked them with power and authority, right? So, of course, we know it's something to be taken literally. But I think it can also be taken symbolically because it's interesting what this is called. Look at verse 7. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. And to me, I'm like, what do you mean noise? I mean, don't you mean the waves? Why just the noise? And, and, and when I was thinking about this, it, it's, it's just noise, you guys. It, that's all it is. It's like the bark, but it can't bite. It's kind of like that, right? It's just noise. The sea, the waves, the trials of life, they sometimes bring us to, to tumult, which is what we read right here, And, you know, what's tumult? That's when people start panicking. No, you don't have to panic. It's just noise. It's just a bark. It can't bite. It's all part of God's plan. He's going to do something good. You know, we panic, even sometimes as God's people. But listen, no matter what you're going through, and I know some of you guys are going through tremendous trials. Listen, it's just noise. The enemy's trying to freak you out. Take hold of the fact that it's just noise and he will still those storms. Spiritually speaking, when you realize that part of it, that it can't harm, it hurts, but it can't harm, then it gives you that peace, even in the midst of the storm. You know, and David goes on to speak of God's provision spiritually and physically. Um, speaking of God, notice in verse 9, He says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The the river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. Um, I don't know for sure. Is it just Mexicans? We like to water, huh? 
<laughs> I don't know, it's something, I, when, even me, man, I used to like to get the hose and just wash down the driveway, you know. I can't do it now. I think it's illegal, but... <laughs> and then eventually one day I got sprinklers and I don't know, I lost, I missed that, you know. <laughs> Here's God like watering the earth. If you can visualize him visiting the earth right here and, and he waters it, you know. And to me it's just, again, uh, you've got to give him all the glory for every drop of rain, for all the water that, with it, that God uses for everything to grow, for the, the meat you know, the cow that you like to eat, because you guys like steak and hamburgers, that all, they eat the grain that God gave the water to. And so, you know, he's just saying, God visits us. God cares for us. Psalm 8, chapter, four, chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? But he does. Lord, how, how gracious you are thinking and visiting, you know, the man and the son of man, Adam and all his descendants, but you come down and you... You water the land. And it's interesting right here. It says right here, you water, in verse 10, its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. It's a, it's a science. God would give them the early rain to soften the soil so that they then can go through with the plow and they would create the furrows where they would then plant the seeds. See, it's all God. I mean, if the ground's too hard, it's not going to work. But it's totally the Lord. And then he, he blesses its growth. How did that grain grow? Well, I don't know. You just put the seed in and it grows. How did it happen? Well, it's the Lord. The grain got rain. All that we need is the seed. You see, God is the one that does it. And a lot of times we take these things for granted and we forget how it's so graciously given to us by God, you know, we, we do our work, but God then works miracles in every, every bite that you ever eat. It comes from God because he gives us rain. And we need to remember that. The meat we eat from the grain is from the rain. And that's why we pray and we give thanks to God for our food. And then in verse 11, it just kind of comes all the way around. And he says, you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. And I love verse 11. Verse 11 is kind of a cool psalm or verse for the end of the year, huh? You crown the year with your goodness. That's a good one. Don't steal that from me, okay? I'm going to use that one. <laughs> you know, it's a cool passage. Um, in the, uh, the phrase, Warren Risby said, the phrase crown the year, it suggests a harvest festival in October. And that would be the first month of Israel's civil year. So if you guys probably know, Israel had a calendar. They had a civil calendar. Then they had a religious calendar. And the civil calendar it would end at this point when they would all bring in the harvest and then when the new calendar would begin. And so it's almost like God, God crowns it. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, the harvest is the plainest display of the divine bounty and crown of the year. The Lord himself conducts the coronation and sets the golden crown upon the brow of the year. 
Or, he said, we may understand the expression to mean that God's love encircles the year as with a crown. And each month has its gems. Each day its pearls. Unceasing kindness girdles all time with a belt of love. And the providence of God in his visitations makes a complete circuit and surrounds the year. And all I can say is when you read this psalm, it just encourages you to know how good God is. It's interesting, I was reading earlier today and uh, about the goodness of God, and as I was reading about the goodness of God, angels out here practicing saying the same thing about the goodness of God. He sang that song earlier today. I'm like, hey, Lord, that's confirmation. <laughs> All creation rejoices, and we should too. The little hills rejoice. The valleys shout for joy and sing, even in the trials. And so we read in Psalm 66, two other words. We move now from, you know, creation and redemption. Those are reasons to praise God. Now we praise God for his deliverance and his discipline. Deliverance and discipline. Notice what we read in verse 1. It's to the chief musician, a song, a psalm. It says, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. Say to God, uh, he puts the words in your mouth, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Selah. And so here, uh, this psalm you may have noticed is not listed as a psalm of David, but once again, it's directed to the chief musician. And there's no doubt when you read the psalm that the writer definitely has a zeal for worship like I said earlier, he wants to raise the praise. He wants the congregation to sing louder. And I think Angel does too. We want you guys too to sing louder. Maybe we should do an acapella every once in a while. You know, Angel will start us off and then he'll back off the mic and then we're going to hear your lovely voices. And we're going to sing loud. We're going to see that that's part of what he wants. Make a joyful shout to God. We never do that here, huh? We're like, hey, man, you're not, we're not Pentecostal. But that's the Bible. A joyful shout to God. Sing out the honor of his name. Look at verse 8 real quick at the end. It says, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. You know, of course, we know God hears a whisper. God hears our thoughts. What he's talking about right here is, I want you guys to praise with such enthusiasm that those uh, guys up there in the, in the, you know, they're playing, they're gaming, they'll hear us. You know, that's what he's saying. And, and there are so many reasons to praise God uh, simply for who he is, right? But also for what he's done. And the psalmist here, he points us there in verse 3 um, to say to God, how awesome are your works. You know, when you go from the beginning of time, and we're going to see all the way to the end of time, in the present time, God's always working. We have reason to praise him, Right? And there's a, when you read this right here, the, the way that it's all going to end up, you know, the millennial kingdom where Jesus sets up his throne and, and the whole, all the nations worship him, but even the coming kingdom, heaven, where everyone, the new heavens, new earth, 
everyone will worship God. That's what he's talking about right here. And it leads the psalmist then to evangelize the flock, but first he needs to feed them. And then we read in verse 5 about the way he does that to the believers, to the church. Here's what I'm trying to say, is that God wants to use you, God wants to grow you, God wants to deepen your walk, God wants you to reach out to them. But you're not going to do it. You won't reach out until you become a healthy Christian. But the way we become a healthy Christian is through trials, it's through the hard times. That's what we read right here in, in verse 5, the deliverance and then the discipline. First the deliverance, and you've got to grow through that too. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his de- doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. When did he do that? When they crossed the Red Sea, right? They came out of Egypt. They went through the river on foot. When did that happen? When they crossed the Jordan, right? And so you have uh, Exodus 14, Joshua chapter 3. You split the water. Think about that. They went through. Then the chariots of Egypt, all those guys died. You know, God goes, leads them into the promised land. There it says, we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. And so in verse 5, he says, come and see the works of God. And there's different ways we can do that. But one of the ways is just by reading our Bible. You know, you open up and you read your Bible and you see the works of God. Right? And, and to me, it's interesting when, you know, he talks about, you know, the, the crossing of the Red Sea and then the going into the promised land. And then, if you'll notice carefully in verse 6, notice what we read. It says, And he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. It says, There we will rejoice in him. Where? There. He says, in the land, that promised land, there we'll rejoice in him. A lot of people believe the reason that he writes it is because whoever was writing this psalm, they're not there. They're in captivity. They're in hard times. They're going through, maybe they're in Babylon. Who knows? But they need to get back to the promised land. You know, and there's different things about this, you guys. Uh, I was reading this and just thinking about how a lot of times we need to go back to our first love. You know, because we can drift away like that. I took two weeks off. I almost backslid while I was gone. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm back, you know. Um, but I'm serious, man. You got to get back. Yeah. I miss you guys. You know, it's just, this is where we need to be, the promised land. You know, he's talking about the nations there that, that God's going to deal with them. In verse uh, uh, 7, you know, do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. So perhaps it was written when they were in captivity and the psalmist is saying, God's going to deal with the rebellious. I need to get back. Lord, bring us back to where we belong. You know, and so the deliverance. And, and so when God delivers you, I, I pray it would strengthen you. Those are faith builders. When God flexes his muscles and does things like dividing the Red Sea or dividing the Jordan, 
river, answering prayer, going on missions trips. You know, how did that happen? Remember those things. Let it encourage you. We should grow in the deliverances. But we're also going to grow through the discipline. Look at verse 8. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Now, he's talking about the nation of Israel here because the enemy thought he could swallow them up, but no, they're still around. He says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. See, in the first psalm, we're praising God for creation and redemption. In this psalm, we're praising God for deliverance and also for discipline because we need it. You know, um, we need to go from being champions to, to being chastened. It's, our, it's, it's good for us, you know? I mean, God kept the nation alive, but it wasn't easy. They had to be dealt with. They were tested, refined as silver is refined. How is that in the fire? You remember that when you guys are going through hard times. Some of you here, you're in the fire. Prayerfully, this encourages you. Job 23.10, it says, He knows the way I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You're going to be a different person on the other end of this trial if you keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, it's interesting how he mentions the net in verse 11. Uh, You brought us into the net. You know, that doesn't sound good, huh? What do you mean the net? You know, uh, today I was uh, blessed, you know, to read a letter from uh, someone who wrote me from prison. And this individual who wrote me this letter from prison they, they were telling me how God is doing a wonderful work in their life. They're, they're sharing with me their story, sharing with me all the things that they went through in their life, all the heartache, all the struggle, all the failures, all the addiction, all the hopelessness, until he went into the net. And there, God got a hold of his heart. Sometimes we need that, huh? Sometimes we need that. Where God will just hem us in. Things happen. It's tough. This is where he is. He's in, he's in the net, right? And, and, you know, he talks about men riding over their heads. I know we don't have time to go there, but if you can, jot down Isaiah 51, 22 and 23. It literally talks about the enemies telling the children of Israel to lie down so that they could march over them. And sometimes we feel that way. We feel like, man, somebody's walking all over me. But God's doing the work. You know, we we read here about the fiery trials and the roaring rivers. But what's God's promise? Isaiah 43, 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now, I think it hurts, but it doesn't harm. 
God does something good. It doesn't, he doesn't just, you know, keep you through it. He grows you through it. Not, not only will you squeak by, but you end up, you know, if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you'll fly because you come to know the Lord and you come to grow in the Lord. Look again at, at verse uh, 12. It says, You have caused men to ride over our heads when we went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Isn't that what we want? How many of you guys here want that? I want to be rich, rich fulfillment. And so how many of you want the trials that go with it? You're like, not that, but that. Sorry, before the crown comes the cross. And if you don't want the cross, you will never get the crown. And that's what we see. You know, Hebrews 12, 11, it tells us the same thing. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And when, when, we, when, when you say trained by it, what do you mean, Manny? You mean that now I'll speak in tongues? Well, maybe. But you know what it really means to be trained by it? You know what it really means? It means broken. It means surrendered. Your thoughts, your words, your decisions, you're just, it's all given to God. That's what we read in verse 13. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows. Remember we were talking about the vow earlier? Which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of, notice, fat animals. With the sweet aroma of rams, I will offer bulls with goats. Selah. And this is where the book of Leviticus it comes in because it's a cool book telling you about all the different sacrifices, right? All the different offerings. But nine out of ten of those offerings, you'd bring your animal, you cut it up into different pieces, and you give most of it to the priest, and him and his sons would grub on the priest, on, on, the, on not the priest, the meat. His family, they would eat the, the sacrifice. Some of it, you'd even, you bring it to the, the, the tabernacle or the temple, and you even give some, and you even get to keep some for yourself. You guys like barbecue? Yeah, that's what you would do. You would go, you take it, you bring some home, and you barbecue it. You have a fellowship offering. But the burn offering was different than all the other offerings. Because in the burn offering, it says in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, and the priest shall burn all on the altar. You know, the priest doesn't get any. The guy that brings it doesn't get any. It all goes to God. And that's what he's saying right here. That as you've delivered me and you've flexed your muscles and you've shown me who you are, there's no doubt about it. You brought me out of Egypt and you get, brought me into the promised land. And then you're disciplining me and you're dealing with me. You're trying to break me. You're trying to bring me to a point where I now bring burnt sacrifice where I give it all to you. See? And I know that's hard, but that's the best place to be. And that's what we're reading right here. You know, to, we're learning to be a holy people. In verse 16, it says, Come and hear all you who fear the Lord, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. 
I cried out to him with my mouth, and he was extolled or praised with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, then the Lord will not hear. There's a different person now. He realizes I can't sin. You know, persistently, consistently, insistently, and think that God's going to hear my prayer. No, I've come down to a place where I'm broken and surrendered. And what ends up happening is now he knows this is how it all works. And this is a relationship with God that I want to have. Verse 19, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. And it's kind of cool when you read that psalm, you guys. It's like someone's journey, man, growing and now coming to a place where I, I have a prayer life. I have a prayer life. It, it's, it's effective. It, it's fruitful because of this fellowship and this relationship that I have with God as he's brought me through the fire. And so some of you here are, are in the fire right now. I feel like I'm in the fire. Maybe not as hot as some of you. You know, God's wanting to do something in me different. And so I pray, you guys, that we would 